Hi, this is John Stonge, and we just wrapped up this week's training for the Healthy Discipleship Community. Each Thursday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern, we have a live coaching call that we do with the Healthy Discipleship Community, and this week we were talking about integrity, transparency, and identity, and how each of these things work together as we seek to live lives that glorify Christ. And I don't imagine that immediately many of us would necessarily think that integrity and transparency and our sense of identity are related concepts, but as we look at the Scriptures, and you'll see in just a moment as we have our discussion, these are clearly related subjects. Now, if you're interested in learning more about the Healthy Discipleship Community, you can visit HealthyDiscipleshipCommunity.com, and you'll be able to access all the video replays of these training events, and more information is there as well about some of the other resources we have available. But right now, let's jump into the training. Here's the recording of tonight's training. We just completed it. Integrity, Transparency, and Identity, and How We Can Glorify Christ in each area. Well, we welcome you to this evening's training session for the Healthy Discipleship Community. It's the summer. It's an interesting time for us all. We're enjoying our our summer, hopefully. Hopefully, if you're listening to the podcast of this, the recording, or accessing the video, you're you're enjoying this time of year as well. But tonight, we're going to be talking about how your integrity, transparency, and identity work together to glorify Christ. It's kind of an interesting concept when you think about it, but when we look at Scripture and what Scripture teaches us, we definitely see where integrity and transparency and identity really work together. And so we're going to be talking about that this evening as we look at uh, just various scriptures and just discuss their application to our day-to-day lives. And I'm very much looking forward to our discussion this evening as we get into that uh, after we, um, you know, just kind of go through some of this content here as it's presented. And those of you that are listening to the podcast, we'd invite you to stop by healthydiscipleshipcommunity.com if you'd like more information about this, or if you'd like to find out how you can access the video replays of the things that we talk about here on the call. But again, tonight we're talking about how your identity, or excuse me, how your integrity, transparency, and identity work together to glorify Christ. Now, for starters, let me say this. Over the course of our lives, we are repeatedly tempted to present ourselves in a false manner. I've done it. I'm sure that those of you that are on the call tonight have done this. At times, we may attempt to present our character as stronger than it is while also seeking to find the source of our identity in the praise of our peers. I wish I could tell you that I've never done that, but I've certainly done that, and I suspect that this is something we're all familiar with. And the truth is, this has extremely unhealthy consequences when this becomes the consistent pattern of our lives. And strangely, and maybe I shouldn't even say strangely because it's so common, this is how many people, they they choose to go through their adult lives making this the dominant or the consistent pattern. And it can be extremely unhealthy. And so we're going to be talking about that and looking at what Scripture tells us about this very thing. Now, because we're confident of the love of the Lord, we don't need to present ourselves in a false manner. And I want, I want to highlight that statement here, and I just want this in, in the back of your mind for when we open up the mics in just a little bit here. But because we're confident of the love of the Lord, we do not need to present ourselves in a false manner. We can be the same person in public and private. We can walk in the light of Christ in all circumstances. That's something that our Lord desires that we do, It's something that he helps facilitate in our day-to-day lives. We can be the same people in public and in private. And I have to tell you that um, when I was brand new in ministry, I felt an intense pressure to be a different person in public than I was in private. In private, I tend to be 
kind of a, a, a joker in a sense. You know, my, my wife knows that, that um, you know, I, have, I, I like to joke around and I like to be somebody who's kind of easygoing. But I remember feeling intense pressure to be this just <laughs> this brushed and polished professional person in public when uh, in, in particular when I became a new pastor. And I remember over time thinking, you know, I, I have to give up this persona because this isn't really how the Lord's designed me. And uh, I need to be more real. I need to be more authentic. And I, I just want to challenge those of us that are on the call and those that are accessing the replay or the podcast of, uh, of tonight's training, you can be the same person in public and in private. And I think a big part of that really comes back to our desire to walk in the light of Christ in all circumstances. So keep that in the back of your mind, even before we take a look at the scriptures. So now in our remaining time, I want to talk about the ways in which our integrity and our transparency and our identity actually work together to glorify Christ and can work together to glorify Christ. So again, keep those three things in mind as we take a look at what Scripture tells us about each of them. Now let's start with integrity. And I want to show us a portion of Scripture from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Let me read it for us. It says this. By the way, I recently preached a series through the book of 1 Thessalonians. Fascinating book. Uh, but in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, starting with verse 4, it says this, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. And then Paul goes on to say this. He says, You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And what he's talking about here is an integrity issue, something related to the nature of integrity, how he displayed integrity among the people of Thessalonica when he came and he ministered among them. So a few thoughts about integrity. Uh, Paul had a very high view of how he was called to conduct his life as Christ's ambassador to the people of Thessalonica. When he came to them, he didn't want to ask them for anything. He didn't want to go about life in such a way that he would bring the gospel into disrepute. He wanted to be somebody who demonstrated in a very powerful way the kind of changes that Christ had made in his day-to-day -day life. And so he was very careful about how he went about his life. He wanted to conduct himself as Christ's ambassador. He knew that everything he did was going to reflect on Christ. And as he was preaching Christ, as he was proclaiming the gospel, he did not want to do anything that was ultimately going to reflect poorly on Christ being that he was there to, to represent Christ. So he, he chose to operate with the utmost integrity, and that was fostered by his love for the Lord and the consciousness that he had of the fact that the Lord loved him. This was empowered by the power of the Holy Spirit who lived within the Apostle Paul. And Paul was very mindful to go about life in such a way to display high integrity. And maybe you've heard this before, or maybe you haven't, but integrity is shown by what you do when you don't think anyone is watching. So think about the decisions you make on a day-to-day -day basis. And right now I'm thinking about the decisions that I make on a day-to-day -day basis. And um, there are certain decisions that we might be tempted to take in a different direction when we're not really living with the awareness of, of other people watching. If you think that whatever you're doing is very private or is just to yourself, you may act in, in, a, in a way that's a bit different than you would act if you were in a public context. Uh, I think kind of a comical way to think about this is how many of us sing in our car. Uh, I sing constantly in my car. <laughs> when, I'm, when I'm in the car, if I have music on, I'm trying my best to sing along with it. And uh, sometimes when I pull up to a stoplight and I realize, all right, people can see me now. I need to behave. I need to, I need to not be uh, quite as enthusiastic about my singing of this song as I'm at a stoplight because I don't really want to uh, provide entertainment for the cars next to me. Uh, although sometimes I've broken that rule and just thought, no, this song's too good. I just got to keep with it. But, you know, sometimes I think, all right, if I know I'm being watched in a context like that, I'm probably likely to act a little bit differently than if I think nobody can see me when I'm, I'm, I'm singing a song. Now, that's a very uh, benign example. That's a, you know, the kind of example that 
we can laugh about, but there are other things that from time to time we have invited into our lives that don't belong there. And I think sometimes we invite those things into our lives because we think no one's going to know and it's not going to matter. But true integrity is shown by what we do when we don't think anyone is watching. And there's kind of an, a, a, a por- an important addendum that I want to make to that. And that's this, integrity is demonstrated most clearly by those who are convinced that God's eyes are always on them. So even though you may not be viewed at any given time by another human being, keep in mind that God's eyes are always on you. And if you're at a season of life where you're living your life with a high degree of awareness that God's eyes are always on you, you're going to very likely display greater integrity than someone who lives their life not even aware of the presence of God. So that's something, you know, when you, again, when you look at Paul's example that he gave to us from 1 Thessalonians 1, and I'm just going to bring it back up on our screen here, he said, you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. So Paul and his ministry companions at the time, he's saying, we walked among you with integrity. Our lives backed up what we claimed to believe. And so integrity is demonstrated most clearly by those who are convinced that God's eyes are always on them. So just ask yourself this question right now. Are you a person of integrity? Are you a man or a woman of integrity? Integrity is shown by what you do when you don't think anyone is watching. But we need to be aware that God's eyes are always upon us. And so integrity is one thing. So I I want us to keep that in mind as we segue to another important but related subject, and that's transparency, because I think these go hand in hand. So integrity, now we're segueing into transparency, and I want to read to us from Psalm 32, verse 5. In Psalm 32, it was written by David, and David says this in Psalm 32, verse 5. He says, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. David is a very interesting individual on the pages of Scripture. When you look at his life, you see the highs and you see the lows, and the highs are quite high and the lows are quite low. And David was somebody who lived his life like an open book before the Lord. I mean, there's a, a couple moments you could look at and you could say, all right, maybe in that moment it looked like David was, was at least momentarily trying to hide from the Lord. But for the most part, those seasons were very short with him. When it came to, to most aspects of his life, and we could say, you know, effectively, uh, over time, it, it sort of seems like all aspects of his life, you know, as his faith matured and as he went through different experiences, he learned the value of being transparent before the Lord. He lived, as, you know, Scripture refers to him as a man after God's own heart. And David wanted to live his life just transparent before the Lord, not holding anything back. Even when he recognized that he had fallen into sin, even when he had rebelled against the Lord and then the Lord had kind of brought him back to a spot of repentance, David wanted to just be transparent before the Lord. One of the most well-known psalms of of David's is uh, Psalm 51. And in Psalm 51, David confesses his sin uh, in that particular chapter, his sin um, in, in regard to his actions with Bathsheba. And so a lot of times people think, you know, that, that could be one of his most transparent psalms. It certainly is. But I, because that's so well-known, I thought it would be kind of interesting to show that that's not the only place in the psalms where David chooses to be very transparent. And again, you know, I read to us from Psalm 32, verse 5, where David says, I acknowledge my sin to you. So this wasn't just a one-time thing in Psalm 51. We see it earlier in the book of Psalms, Psalm 32, verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you, he says, and I did not cover my iniquity. How do most people, I know our mics aren't on yet, but I want us to just think about this for a second. How How do most people try to cover their iniquity? Think about that question just for a second in your head. How do most people try and cover their iniquity? Usually people try to cover their iniquity with lies. They try and create some sort of a story, and they try and cover their iniquity with lies. But here you have David saying, you know what, I'm not going to cover my iniquity. I'm not going to try and lie. In fact, I'm going to do the opposite of that. I'm going to tell the truth. I'm going to confess my transgressions to the Lord. And the Scripture tells us that the Lord forgave the iniquity of David's sin. 
Now, in regard to transparency, uh, just a few thoughts here. Because of our desire to protect ourselves from scrutiny, we often bristle against being as open as we're invited to be. You know, Scripture invites us to be open about these things before the Lord and before our brothers and sisters in Christ. But we try to keep things close to the vest. We try to keep things very private at times. And at times, we don't really want outside input. I was actually listening to a podcast on my drive today. I had a long drive today. And um, one of the people being described in the podcast was somebody who's I mean, he's the guy's a billionaire, I guess, at this point. And they were saying that the man being spoken of, who who leads this massive organization, um, he doesn't take well to uh, confrontation or criticism. And, uh, you know, when they were kind of analyzing the guy's life, you can see a lack of transparency there. And he was he bristles against scrutiny. And I think we all do that on on some level. We bristle against scrutiny. And because we try and protect ourselves from that, we, we sometimes really try to not uh, accept the invitation to be open or to be transparent. But when I read the Psalms, and maybe you feel this way too, I think part of the reason we're so grateful for the Psalms and why so many Bible reading plans have you go through the Psalms sometimes more than once over the course of the year is because David, who penned most of the Psalms, He's very open about his low moments, and that's not something that many of us really prefer to be uh, or prefer to do. Um, Last night, I was sitting around the table with several friends who are also pastors, and we were all at this training event together, and several of us had been teaching during the day, and now we're just kind of decompressing, sitting around the table, talking about our life, talking about our families, and one of the, the subjects that came up was we were just talking about the nature of parenting and how sometimes it's a it's just pure delight and other times it's excruciatingly painful and i confessed some of the low moments in parenting that i've experienced over the course of my life particularly once my children became teenagers and how difficult that could be at times to raise teenagers and earlier today right before a chapel service uh one of my friend's wife walked up to me and she said i, I just have to admit to you how refreshing that was to hear, because sometimes we tend to feel like, um, you know, like like our, our children just need to be so perfect and and everything needs to go just just so well that it, it's just it's just beyond having any problems or any issues. And she said it, it was it was very refreshing to her to hear that kind of transparency related to some of the issues that come with uh, raising children, particularly raising teenagers. And so it made me grateful for a moment of unguarded transparency on my part, where I just decided to be kind of brutally honest. Uh, about how, you know, some of my low days in parenting have looked. But I want to kind of ask us this, just as food for thought right now, but we could add it to our discussion time. Do you believe the Lord has a redemptive use for the testimony of our low moments? Again, when you look at what David said in Psalm 32 or, or Psalm 51 or some of the other places in the Psalms where he decides to be very transparent and confessional, he admits things uh, where he's really you know, like either either mess something up or rebelled against the Lord? And do we believe that the Lord has a redemptive use for the testimony of our low moments? Or do we just want to keep those things private? Can we be open about those things? Can we be transparent? Uh, what's the nature of your transparency before other believers or before the Lord? Are you trying to keep everything close to the vest, or are you willing to be transparent, recognizing that the Lord invites us to be transparent because he knows these things anyway? And the funny thing is many of our friends know these things about us also, but sometimes we we choose to resist the scrutiny. We don't want to be observed. We don't want to be analyzed. And so we keep it very private. But the Lord invites us to be transparent. He invites us to be people who openly confess. He invites us to be people who have that level of authenticity or honesty. And David displays it very powerfully in the Psalms in multiple ways. One other thing related to integrity and transparency that I want to mention here before we open up the mics is identity. Because I think these three concepts of, of um, integrity and transparency and identity, they go hand in hand. And I'm going to try and make that connection clear for us in just a moment. But in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, it says this, 
specifically about identity. Think about what it says about our identity in Christ. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. So it's saying that we're blessed. That's part of our identity. It says, Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him. So again, we're chosen. That's part of our identity. Before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So again, two other aspects, holy, blameless, before him, right? We're holy and blameless before him. So there's multiple things right in those two verses that are stated about our identity in Christ. We are blessed, we are chosen, we are holy, we are blameless in the eyes of God. And I bring that up, and that's a great chapter, by the way, to look at, because there's a whole bunch of identity statements that are made reference to in Ephesians chapter 1. It's one of my favorite chapters of the Bible. But it talks about the fact that we have an identity in Christ that's very different from our worldly identity, or the ways in which we sometimes try to label ourselves this side of heaven. Ephesians 1 reveals the nature of our new identity. And again, I'd encourage you to read through it if you get the opportunity. But how often have you been tempted to to adopt an identity that's based on a facet of your earthly life that will not be true of you in eternity? So let's think about this sometimes. Sometimes a sports analogy is kind of useful in this. Uh, Let's say, and by the way, I am not this, but let's say that I was some great professional basketball player. And, you know, for 10, 20, 30 years, uh, I have a great career, uh, amateur, professional in basketball. And then all of a sudden, as time goes on and my body wears down and I start to age naturally, I lose the ability to compete with some of the guys that are younger. And now I no longer have the opportunity to play professional basketball. Well, for decades, I've been saying of myself, I'm you know, who are you, John? Okay, well, I'm a professional basketball player. I'm proficient at playing basketball. And then all of a sudden, I can't do it anymore. And then I find myself wrestling with not even understanding who I am, because I've tried to base my identity on a facet of my earthly life that is not going to be true of me in eternity. Because in eternity, I'm not going to be a professional basketball player or professional this or that. That's not going to be true of me forever. That's just a temporary thing that I'm doing. It's not an identity to adopt. And again, let me take it back here on our screen here. When you look at Ephesians chapter 1, in that chapter, it's describing things that will forever be true of us. The fact that we are blessed in Christ is forever true. That's never going to change. The fact that we were chosen in him is true of us, and it's never going to change. The fact that we're viewed in God's God's eyes as holy and blameless through Christ is never going to change. These are permanent things. So permanent things deserve a spot in our sense of identity. We find our identity through Jesus Christ. We find our identity in Jesus Christ. And these are things that are permanent about us. But, you know, if you're a fast typer and you say, all right, like, who am I? You say, I'm a fast typer. It's like, no, that's not who you are. That's just something that you can do for a period of time. It's not going to be true of you in eternity. It's not going to matter in eternity. These are the type of things that matter in eternity. And so don't ever be tempted to adopt something into your sense of identity that's not going to be eternally true of you. And uh, I have here on our screen a question, how, how is it liberating to find your sense of identity in Christ? Well, if you're not trying to wrap your whole identity around things that can change and be altered, it's much more refreshing to wrap your sense of identity in something that's permanent. And it's not dependent on your human limitations or your human abilities or your earthly opportunities. Our identity is based on who Christ is, his nature, and what he's done in us and how he's transformed us and made us a new creation in him. Now, let me ask this. We talked about three things here, integrity, and we talked about transparency, and we talked about identity. How do these three things fit? How do they go together? Well, think about this. If you understand that your identity is in Christ, that you are holy and blameless in his sight, that you are blessed, that you are chosen in him, do you need to carve out some sort of 
earthly identity that tells you tell that that basically says, "All right, I have to be perfect this side of heaven." I or or if I make some sort of mistake, I don't know who I am anymore. Uh, or like when you think about transparency, if your identity, your sense of identity is secure in Christ, don't you think that that makes it a lot easier for you to be willing to confess an error or a moment of rebellion or a mistake that you've made or a blunder of some kind? Because your whole identity is not wrapped up in something that is temporary. Your identity is wrapped up in the fact that you are a new creation in Christ. And so I think that when our sense of identity is found in who we are in Christ, that helps us to live with more integrity because we become conscious of the fact that we are deeply loved by God and his eyes are always upon us. And I think when we find our identity in Christ, we become more transparent because we're not trying to carve out a niche where we're overly concerned with how someone views us from a human standpoint. We realize that our our place in Christ's kingdom is secure. Our place in Christ's family isn't something that's fickle. Our place in his family is something that's anchored in his very nature. And so that's why I think these things go together. I think the idea of being transparent, I think the idea of living with integrity, and I think the idea of anchoring our identity in Christ are three concepts that are very closely married. Um, Now, in just a moment, we're going to open up the mics, and I'm going to put the gallery view up here so that we could all see each other. And um, we're going to be discussing this concept. Those of you listening on the on uh, the podcast or accessing this via video replay, again, we'd invite you to stop by healthydiscipleshipcommunity.com healthydiscipleshipcommunity.com. Stop by the website and uh, be sure to access some of the other resources we have for you there. But in just a moment here, I'm going to stop the screen share. I'm going to bring you guys up. It's good to see everybody's faces here. And I've got a few questions for us. And and, uh, I'd be interested to hear your perspective on some of these things. Um, And the first question I have for you is this. When have you tried to present yourself in a false manner? So you can, you can answer that question in a variety of ways, if you're willing to answer that question. Maybe you don't want to answer that. Uh, but when have you tried to present yourself in a false manner? And I, I'm, I'm even curious if you can think of a season of life when maybe that was more prevalent. I confessed that when I was fresh out of college, so in my early 20s, I was a brand new pastor, and in subtle ways, I think I was trying to present myself in a false manner during that time because I think I was insecure about the fact that I was a very young pastor. So I wanted people to think of me as a little bit older than I was. And then I also felt the pressure of, um, as a pastor, kind of portraying myself a certain way. And, um, and I think it wasn't as genuine as I really should have been. And I'm, I'm grateful it's a brief season of my life. But I know I, I know I could have been a bit more genuine during that time, and I'm grateful that the Lord convicted me of that and enabled me to start to feel comfortable just kind of being how he made me to be uh, while serving in the role that he called me to serve and trying to do it with integrity, uh, but, but also trying to be very authentic at, to the best of my ability as he enabled it. So when have you tried to present yourself in a false manner? Was there a season, season of life? Was there a circumstance? Anyone have a thought about that? That's Craig. I'll, I'll take a stab uh, at it. I, I, I distinctly remember in a small group setting, um, coming to the small group setting at church and and trying to portray that I had it all together <laughs> when I really didn't. And it was over something, when it, when it all crumbled, which was a good crumbling, but it was over something very minor. It was actually over a silly doorknob <laughs> at our house. Oh, and yeah. I went to I went to our men's group and and one that they could all tell I was on edge hmm. and they, I sat there and they, they said, spill it, you know? <laughs> and, and again, this is over a silly doorknob that was so frustrating because the spring kept popping out and you've probably all been there before, but, but I remember that situation. It, it freed me up to be who I was and, and the fellowship with other men you know, and, and I was able to kind of take that mask and put it off and say, this is, this is the real Craig. And I learned that they, they loved me regardless of who I was. I didn't have to be a certain way. Nice. Was this early in your Christian walk? Uh, uh, Middle, I think probably about the middle of it. Um, And uh, it was just kind of freeing to be accepted 
doorknob and all. <laughs> but again, I just reflect back to that and just remember I walked in the bathroom and washed up and wiped my face off and, you know, tried to get adjusted so I could sit down and be who I thought they wanted me to be. And they said, no, we want the real Craig. And, and you know, so that, that was a freeing moment, actually. I, I, I kind of, I just really remember that very fondly. That's great. That's significant. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that, Craig. Any other thoughts on that? Do you ever have a time where you're just, and, and Craig brings up like a good point, you know, when we can reflect the love of Christ to each other, it's a reminder of his, of the nature of how he loves us. And it's really helpful if we can learn to reflect that to each other. Cause it, you know, in a sense, in that moment, we're freeing one another up to actually be more authentic. So uh, that's a good example he gave us there. Any, anyone else want to take a bite at that one? Well, um, I don't know that I can say that there was a moment uh, because I've been, my general character has always been more outgoing. Um, But I think, I think what it would be is also as, you know, now that I'm in my sixties, when I was first ordained, uh, my idea of, of ministry, I think, and, uh, my relationship to our Lord changes, it matures. And I think there's a value to that maturity. Um, some people hit their 60s and they're not mature. <laughs> they, they, uh, because they don't have, they don't that personal relationship and the trust in the Lord and uh, that transparency that you have to have uh, in your life with God mm-hmm. um, may not always be there. I mean, there, uh, there are a lot, a lot of people that have fallen uh, because they, they simply weren't mature in their, in their faith. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that might be one aspect of what Paul means too when he says, I've run the good race. Mm-hmm. You know, I have, I have achieved the crown. Uh, Paul was, it, it, you know, there's a good movie out there called uh, Paul, the disciple Paul. Um, uh, he was not mature uh, in his, in his start. Uh, and he just as, as headstrong as he was in trying to uh, convict Christians uh, when he became a Christian himself, he was quite headstrong too. It, it, but in time, in maturity, in the love that he had for the uh, churches that he established, you know, he he changed. Mm-hmm. And I think I think God changes us. Some you know like that, but some change with with time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Paul's a good example of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, here. So look, looking at, at some of those that are on the call here, I know that several on the call here are um, involved in, in various forms of, of full-time ministry or part-time ministry. Um, but this, I mean, this really is a question for, for anyone on the call. So anyone feel free to, to take this. But uh, the way I phrased it here um, before I ask it is um, in some respects geared toward uh, those that are involved in a vocational form of ministry, but in life and ministry, how significant is it to be the same person in public and private? Anyone want to take a bite at that? Anyone have an opinion about that? In life and ministry, how significant is it to be the same person in public and private? You know, I confess to you that that's something that the Lord really convicted me about, that I wanted to be the same guy in public and private. And I didn't want ministry to be an excuse, you know, to not be the same guy, public and private. So I'm just curious, like, how, what significance do you think that has um, from your perspective? Uh, I'll, I'll just jump in real fast. It's, it's absolutely necessary. Uh, if, you're, if, you're, if you're a different person privately than you are publicly, people see through it right away. I agree. And, and your, your, your ability to to uh, evangelize goes right out the window yeah. because how can they believe in somebody uh, who is, who is not true right? Uh, in, in their, in their, uh, to, to themselves. Uh, you have to be trying, 
you know, the, that old line, unto, the, unto thyself be true. Mm -hmm. Well, it, that's not necessarily a, 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 ref, uh, a, a statement that comes from, uh, from uh, pride, but you have to be true. Uh, you know, how, how, can, how can you love somebody else if you, if you don't love yourself uh, the correct way, right? Uh, so if you love yourself the correct way, you take the uh, you take the uh, uh, rail out of your own eye so that you can take <laughs> the speck out of uh, somebody else's. Mm -hmm. If you're false, it it oh, it's going to come out somewhere. Yeah, it, yeah, that's true. It's uh, I'll tell you a story about that, and I'd, I'd be interested to hear uh, somebody else chime in on this too. I'm going to save the story for a minute. I'm, I won't forget to tell the story but you just reminded me of something. I'd just be curious about uh, someone else's opinion on this question before I tell the story. In life and ministry, how significant is it to be the same person in public and in private? I think everybody can tell if you aren't genuine. I think a lot of people can, but I think it's especially critical for the people that you're closest to um, who, who really see, who will really see through it. And I think when if you're not genuine you're at real risk for the people closest to you transferring that lack of genuineness um to god and and to having a a, a bitter thought or relationship toward god because somebody who represented god in front of them lacked a genuine nature mm -hmm. so i think it's really damaging for people at, you know, anybody that you're in contact with, but particularly for people that you're super close to. Yeah. And I think that's what Paul was wrestling with in the scripture we looked at before from first Thessalonians one, you know, he wanted to make sure that he wasn't effectively turning people away from the Lord because he was being, you know, like lacking authenticity or something. Craig, you looked like you had something to say too there. Yeah. To kind of piggyback off of what Andrea said, like I, I remember my grandfather he was a minister and, and uh, he was the same person in the pulpit as he was as a grandfather, at least from the, from my eyes as a child, even up until my teenage years. But I remember early on uh, in my adult life, uh, we went to a church and it was not that way at all. And that, you know, I mean, that really, I mean, my lack of maturity was part of it, uh, kind of what Paul talked about earlier about lack of maturity, but that, 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 facade that was presented really kind of sent me down the wrong track for a while. I, I mean, mm. I'm not going to say that was the cause, but it certainly enabled me. It's a contributing um, factor. It certainly right? was, you know, and just like Andre said, like when you're close to somebody and you see a facade, it can really steer somebody the wrong way. So I, I think it's really critical to be the same person, good or bad. Yeah. Um, yeah I mean, you know, we, we have to be transparent. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Nathan, we see your hand up there. Go for it. Nice. Um, so I do think it is very important to be the same person consistently. Um, and I feel like there's been times in the past where I've been kind of different. I would say, yeah, like, like almost like a facade or like a front. But I feel like something I'm not really guilty about that is okay is like just expressing different parts of yourself with different groups. Mm -hmm. So long as it's still accurate. Because I have like some friends that, you know, have a certain interests or I share certain experiences with that it makes sense. Like, you know, there's some people that I can go to the gym with and they're super into fitness and there's other people that couldn't care any less about that. And they just want to do um, whatever else. There's some people like, you know, I don't know. I like singing. I like talking about that. I'm really bad at art, but I like art. Um, and, you know, there's different stuff like that or just different topics, hobbies that, um, you would, you would say that depending on the context that you're in, you know, you let certain people see certain aspects that you feel are appropriate in the context. Right. Yeah. And I think you're being genuine with what you show regardless. Right. Yeah. I feel like there's a difference between like suppressing or like hiding things or just putting certain things more towards the front because like, Hey, we share this and that's a common point. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Here, here's a here's another question for the group here. Um, I'd be curious what your reaction to this is. Oh, you know, I didn't tell you the story. I'll tell you the story. Then I'll tell you this. All right. You could see like I was going to I was two seconds away from getting a negative comment from someone listening to the podcast saying, hey, cliffhanger, you didn't tell us the story. Um, the 
my wife and I are familiar with somebody who for years portrayed himself in ministry one particular way, but because of our close affiliation with their family, we knew the the real story and it was kind of hard to see. And I, I remember thinking for a long time, I wonder when eventually this all comes to light, you know, like when, when people catch on and um, you know, in, in uh, recent days, it kind of all came to light and, you know, we, it's been in the, in our mind for a long time wondering, you know, when it would, and it wasn't pretty how it all ended. So I know that that's a very uh, like nebulous story in the sense that like I'm being I'm not ve- being very specific with some of the details, obviously, because it's being recorded. But we have actually seen in recent days how it works when someone who, uh, you know, answers a calling to ministry, but then chooses to to treat their family one way and then act a different way in public. And, and then before you know it, you know, if you don't have the respect of your household, how are you supposed to lead in public if you're, if you're treating your family poorly? And then somehow you're going to, uh, you know, like scripture says, like, if you can't take, uh, you know, if you're not going to shepherd your household well, essentially, you know, don't, don't attempt to shepherd the flock of God, right? And uh, we watched as that as that uh, really transpired in somebody's life, and they basically lost the opportunity to do both, you know, family issues and ministry issues. It, it was very unsightly. Yes, Paul. Yeah, I just wanted to uh, just uh, piggyback your thought on that. Um, I've had experiences um, in, in ministry and ecumenical ministry um, and I, I have seen, oh, sorry. I'll get back <laughs> Paul has a background track. <laughs> nope, he's getting a call. All right. Hey, it was, a, it was, a, so he's the cliffhanger tonight, Paul. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll, I'll give him an opportunity to finish that thought in a minute here when he's able to rejoin us here. Um, but how about this? I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this. This is a question I almost jumped to a moment ago. How do the transparent confessions in Scripture impact you? So I'm saying things like what we just saw in Psalm 32, verse 5. You know, when Scripture has a moment where you see a transparent confession, how do Scriptures like that impact you? You know, when you see somebody like David being willing to just openly and transparently make a confession that's now been recorded for, you know, 3,000 years for us to be able to to read and look at and learn from, like, what do you think about these? How do, how do these transparent confessions impact you when you read them in Scripture? Well, for me, I'll say, especially with David, years ago, it almost seemed like, like, okay, there's somebody like me. <laughs> yeah, in, in, in a, in a it, it's in a not very just me. Way, it's even David. <laughs> yes, in a very odd way, it was almost like a crutch mm. until I grew up, until I started to mature, especially as a Christian. And and uh, you know, I I always like in one John uh, one where it talks about if we have fellowship with the Lord, you know, mm. and and for me that fellowship with Him that means that we're together, mm. and we need to be in Jesus. Yeah, I need to be transparent with him. Yeah, absolutely. You know? and, and so, yeah, that 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 scripture just really, when you really start going through that, it it really changed my life. But I can remember actually thinking years ago about David and, and the lack of maturity in my life, and say, mm-hmm. "Well, look at him." Yeah, in an odd way. You know, it's embarrassing now to say that, but hey, you know, I mean, that's transparency, right? But that's probably why, I mean, that's probably a big part of the reason why the Lord has given us those scriptures so that we recognize, you know, David was in the same boat that you're in and I'm in, you know, I mean, it's 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 the same, like it's just in a different right. era, you know, the the things that, that we all struggle with, it's all the same. Right. I just love that in John where it says, if we have fellowship, if mm-hmm. we have fellowship, you know, and and that just speaks that transparency of he already knows about everything. I and I want right. I want to be in fellowship with him. So yeah, you know, just be transparent. He already knows. <laughs> I know it's a relief, right? He already he knows. knows. <laughs> nice, Paul. You had an unfinished thought a moment ago. Yeah, sorry, Do you remember yeah, what I it was? Want to be a cliffhanger? No, it was just this that uh, 
I've been involved in ecumenical ministry for a long time too. And um, I've actually watched um, uh, a church almost be destroyed uh, because uh, a, a pastor was preaching from, you know, uh, about uh, the, the Christian principles uh, he, and, and uh, uh, you know, we, we speak to marriage uh, and so forth. And then uh, uh, this married man went off with his uh, organist. You know, and uh, it, it uh, obviously there's no transparency there, but there's also there is that that that, that falsehood, mm-hmm. and uh, um, I'm sure that the congregations have uh, forgiven, but it's a shame because when we fall, other people fall with us. Right. Yeah, and I I think that that's one of Satan's favorite strategies when it when it comes to these things. You know, strike the shepherd. Right, strike the shepherd so that the sheep scatter. Yeah, he, here's one final question for us tonight that I'd I'd be uh, very interested to hear some of your thoughts on. But what are some of the? So we were talking about identity. Let me set this up before I ask it. We we're talking about identity and the nature of finding our identity in Christ instead of trying to find our sense of identity through worldly things that change all the time. So what are some of the major dangers that you can see? that can result from adopting the wrong identity. What dangers, what are some of the major dangers that you're familiar with or that you can see that, that come from adopting the wrong identity? If we adopt, meaning if we adopt a worldly identity, an identity based on something that's only temporarily true of us versus adopting our sense of identity based on who we are forever in Christ. What do you think? What are some of the dangers of adopting the wrong identity? It's wrong. Adopting the wrong identity can cause you to uh, uh, to uh, also uh, proclaim a false teaching. Um, yeah. When I was a little kid growing up in Detroit, I still remember. I won't mention the name, but he always had a radio program. And he's, he, he always said, put your hand on the radio and send me $20. You know? Oh, goodness. And, uh, there's, there's so many out there uh, that, that preach that. I forget what the term is. But uh, it, 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 my, my congregation needs to see me driving around in a Bentley or in a Rolls Royce <laughs> because that, that demonstrates to them how God actually blesses you. Yeah. You know, um, uh, or the ones that, that you, you completely forget about uh, Good Friday. You just march yourself all the way to Easter and, and you know, everything is fine. You forget uh, that there's a cross crown. before a crown. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think, every, uh, I think we all know who we're talking about, who I'm talking about. Yeah. That one because it's, it just, it, it's not the Christian message, and yet right. it's presented as such. Yeah, you're right. Good. Don Kaler, let's hear from you, too. What do you think? Danger of adopting the wrong identity. Well, uh, it's wrong. The identity (laughs) is wrong. So, I mean, it's kind of like an obvious uh, answer to that. Uh, But the the stuff I've been hearing, uh, I'm thinking, I I keep hearing the word integrity, you know, that everything you do, you're the same wherever you are. And that becomes even more important the more people you're in the midst of, uh, when you have your church family, your your home family, myself, I have a blended family, then I have a, a work family, a recovery family. And so in the course of a day, I'm around maybe a half dozen or more different groups of people. And I it would be a it would be a heck of a chore to to change identities or try to in some way uh adhere or conform to what group I'm with. So mm-hmm. I pretty much have to be. And and for me, that's that may be I, I go a little bit too far that way because uh I don't give my I don't cut my kids no slack. Like uh if they do something wrong, I'm just as uh I rebuke them just like I would a, a, a guy on the construction crew. Mm-hmm. And uh that don't fare too well with people who you're close to to think you should be giving them a little bit more of a break because they're close to you. 
And I'm like, well, no, that goes the other way. You should be having enough respect for me because of what I am to you that you shouldn't be doing something that I wouldn't uh, have that much of a beef with a stranger. But another thing I thought of, that's how Jesus was. He didn't change it when he was with his disciples. You know, he, he, he called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs and a brood of vipers. And he also said to his disciples, get behind me, Satan, and you of little faith. He didn't change who he was when he was around anybody. And uh, mm -hmm. he, he operated with the truth, right? And the, the truth is what sets you free. Right. Yeah. Yeah, very true. And uh, we also, I, I know you can't see him on the screen here, too. Um, we just heard from uh, Rich. He just texted me here. Um, he's, he's listening in on the call, but he said, you know, so the, again, the question, you know, what are some of the major dangers that you can see that result from adopting the wrong identity? And his comment was that that leaves a gap for Satan to gain access to areas that may trouble our hearts. You know, that, that basically we're, we're opening ourselves up to deception. We're opening ourselves up uh, to, you know, to invite the work of Satan into our lives instead of submitting ourselves over to the Lord. You know, I, I, I mean, I look at this sort of thing, you know, when, when I think of some of the major dangers that I see that can result from adopting the wrong identity, I think that can be very depressing, too. Because, if, if, you know, if we're basing, you know, if your sense of identity is based on something that can change, what do you do when it changes? You know, so if, if, if your sense of identity is, is based on where you live, what happens when you're forced to move? <laughs> If your sense of identity is is based on what's in your bank account, well, what happens when some of that goes away because you have to buy a new furnace, you know? Like, if your sense of identity is based on, uh, you know, some sort of a credential, and then what happens if the credential gets taken away? Or or, or what happens if it becomes irrelevant? Like, it's just in a field that is is useless. I, don't, I, I actually heard a story. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this, but I was listening to Dan Miller's podcast um, recently, and he was talking about... Uh, some of the the major issues uh, that I won't use the astronaut's name, but one of our our former astronauts uh, had some some real issues after he completed his mission. Uh, he was 39 years old, and it dawned on him that he he felt like, well, I'm never, you know, his, his thinking in his mind was, I'm never going to do anything as significant as going to the moon. I mean, I, I went to the moon. It's all downhill from here, you know, literally, right? You know, and, and so he was, his whole sense of identity, unfortunately, in that moment was wrapped up in the achievement of being a NASA astronaut who went to the moon. And he said, he confessed that even on the, the trip back to earth, he thought to himself, like, I'm now past the pinnacle of my life. The pinnacle achievement of my life is now past it, it's happened. I had something to look forward to. And he's like, now I don't have it anymore. So his whole identity was based on something that was bound to change. And he got heavily involved in alcoholism. He was arrested several times. He, uh, you know, lost his prestigious ability to, to work with NASA. They stopped working with him. And, and you look through all of these things, and he's had all sorts of conflict with family members and everybody else in the years since. And I think a lot of that came down to the fact that he tried to wrap his identity around something that was temporary and worldly. And you could even say, you know, can we say moonly? You know, he tried to wrap his identity around something that was moonly, you know, but the, the point is it was transient. It was in a moment in time. It wasn't based on any sort of eternal truth. And for us as believers, we want to wrap our identity, our whole sense of who we are. Like if somebody asks you, who are you? Somebody asked me, who am I? If I answered by saying I'm a pastor, or I'm an author, or I'm a podcaster. That's not who I am. Those are things that I do as a temporary stewardship during a brief period of time. It's not who I am. It's what I do. But that eventually is going to end. Either I'm going to retire or die or lose my cognition or, you know, something is going to change that. So I can't, I can't base my identity over something I temporarily do. And I see many people invite all sorts of confusion and depression into their lives 
by failing to recognize who Christ calls them to be and who we are truly in Christ as we trust in him. And uh, for us as believers, there's no sense in us wrapping our identity around anything less than who we are in Christ. So again, I, I mean, can you, do you see the correlation between things like integrity and transparency and identity? Do you see how like, you know, at least in my, like, like the way I think scripture describes these things, I think they truly do go hand in hand. Uh, any, any final thoughts or, or comments from any of you tonight before we wrap up? John, I was just thinking as you were closing up that you're talking about our identity, about who we are, and that we're not a pastor, we're we're not an author. We're, you know, and I, I was just thinking about Jesus, like in, in John, uh, in the high priestly prayer about his identity with the Father. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, again, I mean, that's you know, he just constantly kept saying, "I and the Father are one." We're, you know, I mean, he knew who he was in the Father, and, uh, mm-hmm. and I think so many of us in this modern day, we we do attach ourselves to labels or to positions or to this and that to do and that that can be a real danger zone and uh you know we, we i think we do need to follow jesus's lead and, and find our identities in him yeah you know and, and uh i mean really in him to i mean to not just say that's what we need to do but i mean to really do that you know and, right and find that identity in him i agree well i saw your hand up paul i'll read rich's comment that he just sent me here um, he said, I struggle with that sometimes because how do we really just drop our nets? And I, I think he's right. Like that is a struggle because it, it's like when you've been doing something for a while, it's very easy to just say, all right, this is my life. This is who I am. And it's, I think it's really important that we, that we, I like make that difference in our mind between who I am and what I do. They're not the same. Right. Paul, what do you think? I was just going to, because you're speaking of identity now. One of the things uh, that we have uh, gifted to us uh, is uh, uh, adopted adopt adoption. Yeah. Um, my my uh, we have a child, and that child was adopted. He's in his thirties now. Yep. But he was a little boy when we adopted him, and he had a completely different name. Uh, he he was adopted in Europe. When he was adopted, the law courts in Europe changed officially changed his last name to our last name mm-hmm. because he was, he was adopted into uh, and therefore he became uh, a true son, right. of, uh, my wife and myself. And we're adopted uh, sons and daughters of, of uh, our Lord. Yep. The, the, the gift of adoption uh, is, is that means everything, everything is ours. The inheritance is ours. Uh, the, the relationship to God is ours. The relationship to Jesus Christ, our brother, mm-hmm. uh, is 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 there. And uh, I, I I just have a real appreciation for the the uh, the Christian understanding of adoption. Yeah, absolutely. And when you look at history, you know, when it comes to things like adoption and and caring for the orphans and and all of that, you know, that that really comes back to the days of the early church. Much of that, our current, our modern day understanding, it was the early believers that, out of their love for Christ, were were ad- adopting these abandoned infants and things like that. Here, here's an interesting uh, thing that you guys might get a kick out of. This is kind of bonus content. This is bonus round now for our our training tonight. We'll wrap up with this. Um, years ago, we all remember when nurses used to wear like a nurse's cap. I don't know. There's a, an official name for it, but that, that hat that nurses used to wear all the time, um, you know, they kind of like, like had like almost looked like a shirt collar on the top of their head. Right. Um, and so I wondered at one point, I thought, what is the origin of that hat? Because I couldn't see it. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't protect you from sun. It doesn't do anything. And eventually, it used to look differently. Over time, it took different shapes. And eventually, it just became something decorative. But I checked out the origin of that. And it goes back to the early church where you have deaconesses in the context of the early church. And they had a head covering on. And they were ministering to people because there weren't hospitals and things like that until Christians started setting up places to care for the needs of different people. And so they had the so it comes back to a deaconess's covering back into the early, the days of the early church. And I, I thought, wow, that's fascinating that even a nurse's cap 
is something that actually has a connection to the days of the early church. I had no idea until I did a little reading on that one day. Yeah, Paul. I was just going to say that anybody who likes to watch old World War II movies. That would be me. (laughs) If you see any of them uh, that are set in in, uh, England, uh, if you look at if you look at the hospital scenes, you will notice that that the nurses are gowned like that, and some people mistake them to be uh, uh, to be nuns, and they're right. not. They wear the same covering, and that goes back exactly to the to the uh, ancient order of deaconess. Yep. And in fact, the whole idea of hospital goes back to uh, and deaconesses used to be in charge of hospitals, mm-hmm. but they weren't places that cared for you. That's where travelers stayed when they were going on pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Oh, well, there you go. So, so they, I mean, it's, it's an interesting history. Yeah, it is very much. And you could see, you know, how the Lord has used his people in such a regard, you know, just to, to be a blessing. And now culturally, we just take these things for granted. Like, why wouldn't we have hospitals? Why wouldn't we have orphanages? Of course we would have. It's just it's so practical. And then you discover that prior to the founding of the church, these things didn't exist. Cultures didn't have these things. You know, this is actually the fruit of the Lord working through his people. So that's just like bonus content. I don't even remember exactly what just triggered my mind to think about that. Uh, but some something one of you guys said made me think about that a little bit. So, well, wonderful. Uh, thank you guys so much for joining our call tonight. I hope everybody is doing well, and I hope everybody has a wonderful week. And if the Lord enables us, we'll be back again here next Thursday. Have a great week, everybody. It's a crazy world out there, moms and dads. I'm Katherine Seegers, host of Christian Parent Crazy World, the podcast that tackles tough topics to help you be a godly parent in an ungodly world. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com.